Hello and welcome. It's Graham Norton here. Thank you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast. Coming up, I speak to Richard Hammond about his latest challenges in new show The Great Escapist. Jill Halfpenny takes us behind the scenes of Channel 5 thriller The Drowning. Marion Keyes shares stories from her fantastic novel Grown Ups. And Adrian Dunbar takes us on his adventures around his home country in Adrian Dunbar's coastal Ireland. But first... Here's Maria. Did the snow ever get to you last Sunday? No, of course it didn't. I waited and waited and nothing happened, I'm afraid. <laughs> like life. <laughs> <laughs> we yes, waited Graham, and waited like and nothing Hey, Graham, happened. my life this week has been like an episode of Holby City. <gasps> oh, tell me everything. No, I went up to the hospital. I went up to Eastbourne Hospital. Yes. I had an appointment with my um, consultant, for those people that don't know. I had an append- appendiceal. Um, infection before Christmas. I was oh, in the hospital. Wait, I must go. First time in my life. I know, fascinating. <laughs> and so I had to go and sort of get it checked. And um, I had my NHS card, obviously, in the car, ready for a roadblock from the police. Where are you going? Why are you leaving your area? Um, and then yesterday, because I have to have a procedure, um, mm-hmm. everything's all fine, you know, all good, apart okay. from a bit of um, a chatty bottom. And then I had to have a procedure on Monday and I had to have a COVID test yesterday. So up to the Conquest Hospital in St. Leonard's. Yes, yes, and Maria. And then my... What? Yeah, I'm just... Yes. <laughs> are, you, are you asleep? No, no. I feel like it's the Archer's Omnibus. <laughs> <laughs> And then my test was cancelled. I had to have, you know, a camera up the chatterbox and oh, yes. um, cancelled. Oh, no. So, I know. And you got yourself all ready, had you? I to that. Something to do. What? Had you got yourself all ready for your, cl- for your close-up? I with my... Exactly, Graham. Because that's, the, the, that's the traumatic is... bit. The, 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 the actual filming is lovely, but uh, the, the rehearsals are terrible. No, not good at all. But anyway, it's not gone. But the good thing is my mum, who's 93 nearly, was vaccinated yesterday. Ooh. And I did say to her on the phone, oh, it's lovely that you've been vaccinated. But sadly, mum, it takes 10 years off your life. <laughs> is that bad? <laughs> did she at least she find it She knew I was joking. Did she you find it funny? I was... Oh, good. Good, 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 good. It is yes. lovely that we're actually, you know, talking to people who've had the vaccine, they've had the jab. It just feels like it's, it is happening. It's, it's real. It's not just, it's yeah. not just talk. I think showbiz people, though, are very much at the bottom of the list. <laughs> but no, we're old, Maria. I think we're surely, despite despite our shallow, stupid jobs, I think we'll, we'll elbow our way. We'll elbow our way past the millennials, won't we? Well, let's hope. Let's hope. I, I had a nice thing that... Okay. A nice thing that happened this week, Graham, was um, I did a lovely podcast for postcards from the past. It is exactly what it says on the tin. People who, you know, collect postcards and are interested in what's on the back. And I, I am one of those people. It's a bit of a nerdy thing. With um, a professor of philosophy, Mark Kingwell, and Tom Jackson, who is um, on the website. And uh, you know, we, we chatted for an hour, these strangers, and then the recording was finished. And, we, you know, all the lovely things about postcards and what years and so on. And then I thought, I wanted to say to them oh, can you stay on the line and just chat to me a bit longer? Because <laughs> it was like a sort of dinner party um, by Zoom. And But no, I didn't say that because I thought it might make me look sad. But now I've said it on the radio, so it sounds sad. Well, no, what's weird is, what's, what's odd is that the, the chat show has become a bit like that, where the guests in the studio enjoy it so much because they li- they haven't talked to anyone they didn't know. <laughs> For so it's very long. true. You can tell as well. It's like your little show is. I don't want to blow smoke, but you're, it's like a little beacon of light, and it makes me smile. And everybody seems to be like, "Hey, I'm out of the house! Hurrah!" And the guests talk to each other more. It's like they are interested in each other. They like hearing each other's stories. It's it's extraordinary. <laughs> 
So for you, that's your sort of lockdown therapy, isn't it? Going in and doing that show. Well, I'm, I mean, I am aware of how lucky I am that I have this, you know, because the guests enjoy it. They get to do it once. I get to do it every week. So it's a lovely thing. It's, it's, yeah. it's great. I get to, And you we know. loved Sam Neill on the show, even though he was from, New, you know, zooming in from New Zealand. But I did think, Graham, about his new film. If a, a sheep knocking over a Scrabble board um, is the clip for, to promote it, <laughs> then can't be much else in it, really. Oh, no, no, no. I can't tell bad? you. Because what, what, what we didn't convey in our chat was actually it's really traumatic, the film. Something very bad happens in the Why film. Why couldn't you convey that? Because it's a spoiler. Well, it's a spoiler, spoiled. and also it makes it seem like a Debbie Downer that you wouldn't want to see. Whereas a charming, uh, whimsical moment with a sheepdog trying to round up a sheep in somebody's living room, uh, joyous. That you've got Was it, that oh. the only moment of whimsy? I can't believe that to be true. No, no, there's quite a lot of whimsy in it, uh, but there is also a big, bleak thing that <laughs> happens. Oh. Good, that, that makes me want to watch it more. I think it's nice to see other people in distress during <laughs> lockdown. Oh, it's not you... people in distress. It's Oh, it's sheep in oh, distress. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, now we're getting dangerously close to spoilers. Is yes. it called Ram? It's called Rams. It's called Rams. It is called yeah. Rams. Look. And 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 actually, I really enjoyed it. And you know me, I, I don't enjoy everything. I mean, I, I do, say and I, I do. know that I'll have to talk to you later to find out the truth. <laughs> <laughs> my opinion is so useless because <laughs> I love everything. Uh, you do. And whatever you think of it, you do it with such a plum, Graham. But well, then I... I suppose you have been doing a chat show for 200 years now. Yes. So um, you should be quite good at it. And normally I can find something I enjoyed in something. You know, normally. The end. Yeah, there's, there's that. If I get <laughs> the credits rolling, if I get if I get to the end. Uh, now, now, Graham, my tree is still up. Um, oh, get rid of it, Maria. What must it must look like? Some sort of skeleton thing that you no, dug up? I don't know what they injected it with. It's been up for over two months now, and it's still going strong. I mean, it's got roots and so on. But um, it's Candlemas on Tuesday, which is the second of February, because you can keep it up until then, forty days of Christmas. But should I then take it down on Candlemas? Am I kind of, you know, causing such social unrest um, when people look in my window that they will start stoning me? Well, no, I just think uh, uh, Christmas tree is a cheery thing till it becomes a depressing thing. And I think yeah, right well, it's now, your, your tree your tree has crossed a line. It's now just a depressing thing. People will it's just... not because it's still perky. I put a picture up, Graham. I spray it with hairspray daily. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I don't. <laughs> But people just will just it. think you've lost your mind. They think, oh, poor old Maria, she's forgotten. She oh. she thinks it's still Christmas, bless her. I think people already know that I lost my mind some time <laughs> ago. I had a dogtivity in the window, for goodness sake. That's a fairly good indication, isn't it? Have you taken down the dogtivity now? That has gone, yes. Okay. I, have to, I, I respected the nativity scene, but not my Christmas tree. <laughs> uh, all right, listen, you gather yourself and uh, find some letters and uh, we'll have Graham's guide. Dear Graham and Maria, my elderly father died recently. I also lost my mother last year. While clearing out the house, I came across a box of photos that showed my father with another family. My father was much older than my mother when they married, but I had never heard about a first family. I am an only child. Uh, my aunt has now confirmed he was married with three children, but that's all she knows. I can't imagine why he would keep this a secret and has he kept in touch with them? Knowing I have half-brothers and sisters out there is driving me mad. Should I pursue it or leave it alone? 
and that is from Samantha in Birmingham. I mean, Samantha, I do, of course you can't leave it alone now. You know, the genie is out of the lamp, as it were. But I just want to sort of advise caution because you need to be prepared for it not to go the way you want. I mean, I can't believe your aunt doesn't know more than this. I think you need to sit her down and say, look, I need to know the truth. Because um, there's a whole other family here, three children and an, a former wife, and they may not feel um, quite as a sort of obliged to return your inquiries because you don't know what the circumstances were of the end of that marriage. And uh, it could be that it was not very pleasant, in which case they might not want to revisit it. And also they might not want a reminder. I mean, presumably they know that your father died. You could perhaps get in touch with them to sort of say that and then, uh, you know, to let them know, as it were, gently, and then test out the water this is this requires obviously quite a lot of research and detective work on your behalf but i would really advise caution but i think you can't now put it away once um once you found these photographs graham i would say use the photographs you know because the fact that you could i think what samantha needs to say to these people if she can find them is i I didn't know about you, you know, for whatever reason, uh, my father, our father kept you a secret. But I have found these pictures and I wondered, would you like to see them? Uh, have you got copies of them? Da, da, da. Which is, a, you're not saying, let's have Christmas together. You're just saying, I found these photographs so that you might want to have. But you're right, yeah. because you don't know what situation he left them in. I remember when Kim Cattrall did, um, Who Do You Think You Are?, she found out mm. this awful thing. You know, her mother uh, grew up in Liverpool and their father just kind of left. And they, her mother and her sisters, lived in really grinding poverty. I mean, really proper, proper poverty. And when she did Who Do You Think You Are, she found out that the father had moved really like, not. I, mean, I, I remember it as a few streets away. It was probably further than that. But had a family and he, she's looking at pictures of him with his new family on holiday. And, you know, the idea for her mother and the sisters that they would ever done something like go on holiday. So it was just a real smack in the face. So you don't know what situation he left behind. Well, that's why I was saying, you know, if you do get in touch to say, I just wanted to let you know that my father our father um, died. And if, you know, they say good and put the phone down, then you'll know that things are a bit tricky. Um, but so, and like you say, Graham, say, would you like to see these photographs? Because sometimes when something like that happens, you, as that family with the three children, you just want to close it down. You know, she probably went on and married somebody else. That was a, a, the dim and distant past. However, there are three biological children that are related to you. Yeah. Um, it's so... also that weird thing that people try to lash out at whoever's available. You know, now that he's gone and yeah. the, the mother's gone or the second wife is gone, let's let's hate Samantha because she's kind of symbolises what went wrong in our lives when Daddy left. But maybe... We, but we don't... I mean, it can't have been terribly amicable or they might have cropped up before. Unless, did he maintain contact with them and nobody knew? But then the aunt did know, so I, I, I don't know. Well, I'm guessing when she went through the papers and she's, you know, found the photos, but she didn't find any correspondence from the father because she's saying, did he stay in touch with them? I don't know. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, I do feel that your aunt 
perhaps knows a little bit more than she's letting on and and that uh, she's trying to protect you in some way. So I think, you know, confide in her and say, I am going to try and find them and, and, and then see what her response is. Uh, because it's going to be a really, you'll have to be tread very, very carefully, Samantha, this is my feeling, before you kind of go plunging in. Yes, the only, I mean, and it's not a good thing, sorry, it's a bad thing, but everyone's dead. But it's kind of, it makes this bit simpler in that both the second wife and the dad are dead. So at least... Uh, you're not upsetting that generation. Well, it makes it simpler for Samantha, of course it does, but also it could be that she's now feeling very isolated and only child and and is desperate to connect with other people because, you know, two losses in quick succession, yes. it sounds like, means that you're feeling, uh, I want another family, I want to reconnect. They are not in this feeling that you're in, Samantha, so just view it from their point of view. The way you're feeling now yep. is not how they will be feeling, and so maybe leave it a, a little while and see what your thoughts are then. Because don't... Yes, I would, I, I would certainly say you may find them, but don't expect that somehow this is going to be the missing piece of the jigsaw that makes your whole life make sense. They're just and it going could to make it a whole lot worse. Yeah, actually, they're just going to be the are, they're going to be some people. They're going to be some people and you have this weird connection to them. But uh, I, yes, I, I it's not it won't I don't think it'll be the end of long lost family when everyone's just crying and happy. I don't think that's going to happen. Phil and Esther, try and find them, but do it from a very basic info point of view for a family tree or something. Then you can establish from there whether or not they'll be all right getting to know you. Harry in South Wales, sit and think on this. Don't rush into anything. Maybe lay down some research first before trying to get in contact. Uh, my father kept his daughter a secret from me for almost 30 years. The child of a previous marriage, which he didn't tell me about. All of my father's siblings and my cousins were involved in keeping that secret. I was raised as an only child. The pain of this has greatly damaged me and how I live my life. My advice to your listener would be to try and make contact eventually with her siblings before it is too late. But be prepared, things may not pan out the way she hopes. Good luck to her. Paul, Lisa and Orson in Breitling. Uh, probe the ant more. She knows something. I think the ant knows something. Because I imagine it must have been a bit of a scandal, I would have thought, that he just left, you know. And I guess you, the aunt doesn't want people to think badly of her sister, who maybe lured the man away from his first family. We don't know. Was it an affair? We don't know. Um, Serene for his Drayton. I advise you to leave it. Get a dog, cat, fish if lonely. Her dad kept them a secret for a reason. I never wanted to see my half-sister. Why inflict pain on the next generation? Oh dear. Well, I'd say maybe try and see them, and then if they don't want you, then look into the fish option. As someone who late in life discovered my father had a second family, please stay out of it. It will add hard trauma to the other family. He said nothing for a reason. That's from Mark. Uh, Avril, as Graham and Maria caution, handle with kid gloves, but you never know. Bygones may be bygones, and the former family may need closure. I just don't know. The reason he didn't mention them could be that they all died in some awful way and he couldn't talk about it when he remarried. William from Kent, I feel, has been watching really too much television. <laughs> I think if there was a huge tragedy in his life, oddly, you would know that. If there was just a murky scandal, that's what you don't know. Uh, maybe checking births, deaths and marriages first so he knows the bigger picture. That's William and Kent. Um, Anonymous says, I found my dad when I was 28. My mom had passed away when I was 21 and my father and I get on great. 
but there was only me and my dad involved. I agree, tread carefully, and you're right to set her up for it not going well, but there is a possibility that they'll be happy to hear from her too. Good luck to her. Um, Richard Cumbria, my advice to do nothing. He may have kept it from you for good reason. Keep the cork in the bottle. And then Hillary in Kill Malcolm. Um, I, this is the sort of thing, myself and Maria never think of these things. And this is key. Uh, Hillary in Kill Malcolm says, in addition to the emotional aspect, Samantha needs to think about the financial implications of her decision. If her father left any sort of estate, his other children might be entitled to a share. Uh, this doesn't mean she shouldn't pursue the search, <laughs> just that she needs to take this into account. Yes, she does. Wise words from Hillary. My second problem is this. Oh, yes. Not mine. Dear Graham and Maria, my partner has been on furlough for a fair few months now and has decided to take up cooking as a hobby. It used to be me as I was home earlier, but now she absolutely loves it and cooks dinner for both of us every day. Problem is, she's terrible. When she first started and asked my opinion on the food she was making, I made the mistake of laying the compliments on thick, as I assumed she would get better. But she hasn't at all, and now will barely let me near the kitchen. Have I left it too late to say anything? And that is from Luke in Brixton. I mean, Luke in Brixton, we do have a few of these problems, by the way, similar things. But how can it, how bad can it be really because she has to eat to this stuff as well so you know unless she's going this didn't really work it can't be that bad and also you're getting your dinner made every day mate and not having to do it you get in you know take your shoes off put your slippers on and have a drink so that's rather lovely yes you are to blame because you laid on the compliments thick assuming she'd get better i find this a bit patronizing actually but um so you know you are you are somewhat to blame but i would say to i would suggest to you i'd say to her what is this recipe because sometimes i.e me i just put some gloop in and then put some other gloop in and think oh yeah that'll go and then a, a bit of coriander and what about some cinnamon and then of course that's a disaster you need people who know what they're doing it's a form of chemistry get her a recipe book and say oh i really fancy you know nigella's recipe of uh, one pot chicken or something like that why don't we try that um because you, i don't think you can go wrong if you follow the recipe um which i sadly never do and uh, or say to her i'm really missing cooking oddly can you wait for me to get home and we'll do it together uh because you've you've done the compliments you can't now backtrack because that means none of it was true uh, how much we know that and so do it with her, get her a recipe book and maybe, you know, start saying, oh, I think this has got too much tarragon in. I just plucked that out of the air. Well there. done what you, do you there, with your fancy herb. <laughs> I know, <laughs> listen to me. Um, I just think, Luke, if someone's cooking for you, shut up and be thrilled. <laughs> and unless, well, that's sort of my feeling. Unless too. it's poisoning you, unless you're actually kind of retching, then just eat it and be delighted that someone loved you enough to cook you a dinner. Um, I... Uh, that's my take on it. And also, she's not going to be furloughed forever. So the, the danger Make is... The, the, the danger is, when we get out of lockdown, she might feel dinner party ready. 
that's, that's, that's the awkwardness where you got to be like, oh, maybe we shouldn't invite people over. And if we do, you shouldn't do the <laughs> no, cooking. That's a good one to film if it's that terrible. But really, Graham, it can't be that terrible because she's got to eat it too, unless she's giving except, you a poison Except version. I don't know about you, but I can eat. I mean, I will eat anything that I cook. It can be very... It can turn out very wrong. And I will still eat it because I made it. Uh, whereas... <laughs> and you love yourself. Oh, well, and you don't want to offend yourself. Well, and also, I'm hungry. And, you know, I'm not going to throw it away now. You know, yeah, it's a bit burnt or it's a bit dry or it's a bit whatever. But I will, you know, I'll, I'll knuckle down and I will eat that. Uh, but whereas if somebody else made it for you, it is easier to go... Oh, this is really grim. But I go back to my point. Somebody loved you enough to cook you your dinner, so eat it and shut up. That's yeah, and I do think saying to her to follow the recipe because I can remember having quite a lot of showbiz pals around once, um, which is something I really never do. But I made this recipe uh, and I followed it. But you had to leave the chicken to do something, tenderize, I think, in lemon juice uh, for three minutes or something like that. And I left it in for maybe an hour. So lemon juice, it actually cooks things slowly, but you know, lemon yeah. juice will soften and then cook. And so then once I cooked it on top of the lemon juice, it was just a lot of mushy string. That's what my chicken became. And I could see all my guests kind of looking at me as if to go, you really expect us to eat this? And so I had to say, look, this was a disaster. Please stop eating it and I will order us pizzas. And did everyone go, yes, please? Yeah, they did. Oh, wow, that is bad. Yeah, because people. Yeah, that's bad. Because you're really giving people an opportunity to say, no, it's fine, Maria, it's lovely. It's a little bit no, strange. You see, I knew because I was eating it. So that's what I'm saying to Luke in Brixton. You know, if she's eating it, it can't be that bad. Or you're dating a moron. Uh, that, that's, the other, <laughs> that's the other possibility here. <laughs> you like soup. Yeah. Oh, porridge again. Thank you so much, Charlie. Um, mm, uh, well, I, I hope people are kind to Luke in Brixton, or actually to the girlfriend, really. Uh, I hope people aren't too harsh to the girlfriend in their advice. Uh, Henry in Yorkshire says, focus on the meals that aren't quite as bad and steer her towards those. I mean, that is the thing. You, you know, if something is really, del if something is at all nice, just go heavy on that. You know, just say, oh, this is so good I could eat it every night. That kind of thing. Uh, Sally and Devon, unlucky, too late, clearly. Unless you want a very messy situation on your hands, I think you better put up with it. And also, someone's cooking you your dinner. I mean, like I say, if you're not heaving into a toilet bowl at the end of it, how bad can it be? Um, insist that you get in the kitchen with her too. Read up on a different cuisine and cook that together. Then you can damage control. Freddie in Leicester. Freddie, have you been in a relationship? I'm not sure that's going to help. I think it might be easier just to eat horrible food for the rest of your life than to get in there. I mean, you can... I mean, there are all those kind of YouTube tutorials and kind of making... You could watch those together and kind of, you know, oh, I'll do the chopping while you do the something. I guess you could do that. Um, oh, Jack in New Haven, he's brave. Tell her straight. Wow. Say you didn't want to hurt her feelings, but that you sense some but that you sense some improvements. Uh, suggest what the actual problem with the food is, though. Is it just that the taste bothers you? Because just telling her it's rubbish isn't going to help. That is that is true, Jack. That won't help. You need some constructive criticism rather than just hurting her feelings. That is very true. Lil in Dublin, tell her gently. Don't tell her that you hate her food. 
but you're not enjoying it as much recently. And I ask if you can help her mix it up a little. If she sees it as a team activity, you might just get somewhere. Oh, Luke, what a pickle. I'd say your only option is to eat what she cooks you and hope you can go to someone else's for Christmas dinner for one day of peace. I mean, that's the problem, though, because you've lied to her. Presumably her confidence is growing all the time and suddenly she'll be suggesting that everyone comes to you for Christmas and that's kind of your fault, Luke. Uh, when everyone's having a terrible Christmas, they should look to you, not your girlfriend. Um, uh, Bunty and Cheadle, she's back. Bunty and Cheadle, this'll be tough. It'll tough but fair. As my son outlaw says to me, oh, I see, oh, I get it. The daughter isn't married. Bunty's not letting that go for a second. Yeah. Uh, as my son outlaw says to me, bad cake is better than no cake. I, oh, so wise. And he once bought me a set of scales. Wow. So I take the hint and start collecting stamps or deep sea diving. Of course not. There are few things in life more fun than torturing your loved ones with your marvellous culinary creations. Lighten up, sweetheart. Lighten up, sweetheart. Bunty's off to light a cigarette. She's going out. I'll be outside. I'll be in a minute with more advice. That's Bunty and Cheadle. Uh, um, and final word to Christine. Luke should eat the food and suck it up and be grateful for his girlfriend's culinary delights. Oh, how true. Oh, actually, quick one. Get your girlfriend Delia Smith's complete cookery course. Her recipes are completely infallible. I learned to cook properly with this book and I'm sure your girlfriend can too, David in London. That is so true. Except you will end up eating things like lamb kidneys in red wine and stuff. I mean, it's quite old schooled. <laughs> Delius thing. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Virgin Radio. He's got an extraordinary new show on Amazon Prime Video. It's called The Great Escapists. Please welcome Richard Hammond to the show. Hello, Richard Hammond. Good morning, Graham. How are you? I'm very well. Um, I, well. I've watched episode one of this. I don't envy you because it's an extraordinary show. It's got, like, film production values but how are you how do you describe it to people when you came home from filming this what did you tell people you'd been doing well it's better still when we came home from pitching it because <laughs> we, we decided i wanted to make something i did a show years ago called brainiac which was like a pop science show so it had science in it but it was great fun and a bit silly and I, I thought, we need another one of those shows. So I hooked up with Tori Belechi, who used to host Mythbusters, which a lot of people have heard of. That was a big science show. Again, a bit silly and daft. And then we thought, how can we take it even further? So we'll put ourselves on a desert island, and then we'll use all those fun science and engineering things to kind of make our lives brilliant. And then we thought, well, to motivate all those things, we need to build a story into it. And then it became sort of half scripted, half drama, half fact. And it's... it's it's kind of unique. It really um, is. I've never seen anything like yes. it. And I mean, it is incredible when you get to work with kind of uh, to do a show like this with the budget you must have have. It's amazing. The um, the ambition of what you achieve on the show is I mean, you you build a plane. Yeah. Well, you see, because it's for Amazon, they wanted it all to look fancy on screen. So it, normally when you're doing pop science shows, you're standing on a, a windswept, disused airfield demonstrating something small. Um, but that wouldn't do for them. It had to be big and glossy. So we had to go to a real deserted island and then build really big stuff, which the result means the science is there. It's true. You could use it for homeschooling, but um, it also looks good and feels good. So it's yeah, it, it's a bit it's very 
very different. I'm really hoping people kind of indulge us and come with us on what is a bit of a silly journey. Yes, it might be homeschooling. I don't think anyone wants their children to build any of this in the back garden. <laughs> no, I'd advise against that. I'd advise. By the way, I am still just loving your phrase earlier before the last track when you said they managed to find me on some listening device. And don't you think that sums up where lovely radio has gone? I think it's, it's fabulous. It says that radio is still more than surviving. It's thriving because it pops up everywhere. And I love that about it. It is. I mean, you just you just you know, speak out loud and it will happen. <laughs> something in your house. Yeah. Something in your house will play it for you. <laughs> but, but it's the fact that you were saying, because normally in the old days, I, mean, I was doing radio 32 years ago and, and you'd, you'd say the frequency. And well, I always wondered why you'd say that, because if people could hear you say it, they were already listening to you. So they'd found it. But you knew where you were. But now with radio, you could be popping out on somebody's watch on just a little box on a count. I don't know, at the microwave. I don't know, I don't know where we are now. I don't yeah, know pe- where we're coming Yeah, out. It's like whack-a-mole. People are trying to stop hearing this. They, <laughs> it keeps popping up. It's coming out of my watch now. I can't stop it. But I think that's great. That's, that's sort of the, the pervasive nature of radio We'd, it, because it's, it's proper broadcasting. It is, it is talking to people and sharing ideas. I, I love that it, it keeps going. Like but that. also, similarly, with, with TV. TV, you know, that has gone in so many different yeah. directions. The fact that you're doing these shows with Amazon and that they will then it's not like you know oh it was on Thursday I missed it you know we will have a life it sits there um you know people will find the great escapists oh it's changing the nature of it absolutely I mean my two daughters are what 20 and 17 and the idea for them that they would switch on a box and watch what somebody thinks they want to watch at that given moment um is (laughs) what why would it do that It, it is changing wildly but that's that's all to the good and where did you film uh, The Great Escapist? Where where was this beautiful beach? Well, early on in the process, you see, I thought, hang on a minute, I can't have Tori, who is utterly brilliant, by the way, and completely steals the show, but I really don't mind. Um, <laughs> uh, we can't have me and Tori standing there saying, oh, no, woe is us. We are stranded alone upon this deserted island. And then a windsurfer goes through in the background. So we thought we're going to have to do this on a real deserted island, which it is. It's just off Panama. Um, and there was just us there. I mean, you know, not just Tori yes. and me, obviously, it's a telly show. Really. Yeah. There were about 70 of us, but that, that was all there was. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was. We had to ship in every person, every piece of filming equipment, but also every scrap of food um, to keep us all going for two months while we were there. But also I the mean, logistics not, of it. it was tough. But the logistics yes. of all that stuff, you know, all the stuff yeah, you I use know. to make the things. So you had to get yeah. all of that there. It's a big old list. Yeah, we had just shipping container after sh- shipping container. That The island had to be able to accommodate us. It had to be big enough to have room and to be able to land the ships there with all the stuff. Um, and then we lived in huts. I mean, like, I'm, I'm not saying... Well, it's not, it's not like a survival show. Don't misunderstand it. Do not, if you're... If you think you might become stranded on a deserted island, take with you just a copy of this show, believing it'll help you survive. <laughs> No, in any useful way. It's yeah, not a yes. service. It's a good premise no. for an excuse for yourself and and uh, Tori to make incredible machines. Talk us through some of the. I mentioned the plane, but you make lots of things. Talk us through some of the things you you make from scratch. Well, essentially, we, I mean, in terms of survival, you see, we dismiss all the Bear grill stuff in the first 45-second montage. So we've got food and water sorted out, because that's not difficult. I don't know why you make such a fuss about it. Then we decide, well, we better make our lives more interesting. So um, in the first episode, we decide we need to build things to move all the stuff from the ship that's wrecked to our chosen beach. So we build 
it's a, a tank well, and a small race car, but then things get completely carried away. We need power, so we build a water wheel, but the first one's small enough, so we build a 12-meter one. Um, and then, then Tory's been making hooch, which is an essential to survival, obviously. Mm. But, yeah, but it's too warm because it's a very hot, deserted island. So we need a means of cooling it. So we build a beer-cooling windmill that relies upon evaporative cooling to function. It's rather brilliant. Um, We build a lot of very big stuff, all of which was created out of the stuff we had on the boat. And it was, it's essential that, you know, the science, when we talk about, say, evaporative cooling, it's true, it's real, it works. Or when we build a kiln to try and make glass, the fact that ants generally like to burrow into clay because it's, it, it, it supports their network of, in their nest. So if you find the ants, you found the clay. All of that stuff is true. It's just we sort of supersized it. And what I like is it's really big, ambitious things that are very, very clever and like, oh, how did you do that? And then I loved yeah. you just explaining how an air raid siren works. Which is the I know, it's, it, it is interesting how they work, isn't it? It's centrifugal force, really. But that's the point. It is, it is a bit different. I mean, we are saying, do indulge us and come with us. It's, a, it's unashamedly silly. We're not pretending to be serious here. But the science at heart of it is true. So there are little you... bits of... Sorry, because I'm yes. stupid. I, I watch it kind of like, did, did Richard Hammond really know all of this going into this? Or did you find... Like... Oh, I'm a... Very <laughs> Well, I mean, it's a TV show. I mean, they're always a bit pretend, aren't they? I mean, yeah. all those people don't suddenly get together and decide to hold a dancing competition. It's been arranged for television. <laughs> um, so this was kind of the same. You know, we had to. We, also, what we couldn't do was just set off to this island for two months, spend a load of Amazon's money, and then come back and say, do you know, nothing really happened. Maybe so sorry. We just kind of sat in the sun. It was nice. So we had to set stuff up uh, because otherwise you risk coming back with nothing. And I guess, Richard, the question is, uh, is, this, is this a replacement? As, is, does the grand tour continue or is this the new gig? No, 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 it continues. Obviously, there is a slight problem evident in the title. The word tour um, <laughs> does suggest certain logistical constraints right now. Yeah, um, yeah it's tricky. Um, but yeah, no, no, we're, we're, we're carrying on. We're not giving that up. It's, it's, it's what we do. And is it weird for you, because you've been in that kind of trio, that triumvirate for so long and that kind of chemistry so strong, to, to, to have a new kind of co-host, was that weird? I mean, two points to that. One, no, because the co-host in question, Tori Balechi, is just utterly brilliant. I mean, we got, we got to the beach on the first day, so we, you rightly said the logistics were huge, getting 70 people and all that we needed to this island. It had taken months. It had been about two or three years in the planning and thinking. And we get to the island, then we're standing on the beach, and Tori and I had hung out together. He'd come over for a week or two when we'd written it, but we hadn't worked together. And standing on the beach, day one, moment one, script one, scene one, uh, somebody said, action and I looked at Tori and thought wait a minute we've never worked together what if it's rubbish but the guy's just brilliant so that was not a problem but for me the weird thing is and it still is weird being asked that question about what's it like not working with the other two and I think wait a minute I started in 88 I've worked without them for years but then I realized hang on a minute no, I've been 20 years with them. More than that, about 22 years with them. <laughs> it just flew by. I still think of that. Oh, that was just a job. That went well. But it was 20-odd years. So it, it's kind of odd. It's more the other way around. Because we're not able to tour together so much at the moment, when we do get together and the three of us stand in front of camera, as soon as we get going, we just sort of fit back into a mode. It's so comfortable now that 
we know not so much what the others are going to say before they say it, but we know how they're going to react to what we say, which makes it very easy to elicit a response and sort of steer it along. So it's incredibly comfortable in a really hideous, unpleasant, uncomfortable way. Because what struck me watching The the Great Escapist is because you admit that, you know, it is scripted, it's got a story, it's got a kind of dramatic arc over the, over yeah. the episodes. Um, but you are so good at it, Richard, and I kind of thought, oh, hang on. Like, how much of Grand Tour? How much of Top Gear? How much of that is all scripted? How, you know, has this guy been? Has this guy been fooling us all it's along? It's all been lies. It's been founded <laughs> upon lies. No, it's because um, we think it's it's television presenter level of acting. Because as a telly presenter, you've done it. You've, oh, yeah. you've, you've got to you've got to say something at a particular time. You have to put the words in a particular order and then say them at a camera, apparently spontaneously, in order to move on to the next thing. So that's what we're doing. It's not, you know, I'm not going to be putting him for any big acting awards. It's television presenter level acting. Uh, Richard Hammond's new show, The Great Escapers, is available now on Amazon Prime Video. Lovely to talk to you, Richard. Uh, I will talk to you the next time with uh, probably the Grand Tour. Always a joy to talk to you, Graham. Take care. All right. Take care, Richard. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Adios. Bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Virgin Radio. Jill Halfpenny. Hello, Jill. Hey, Graham. How are you doing? I'm so well. Lovely to talk to you. It's been an age. It's been too long. Too long. (laughs) Too long. I must come round. You must. No, no, don't. I've never have before. (laughs) (laughs) Back off, lady. Back off. (laughs) Showbiz friends only. Showbiz friends. That's it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Lovely. Um, you lucky creature, because often, you know, you have people, I, I'm talking to people and they're trying to sell their wares and often some shows are quite hard to describe or they're, they sound off-putting. Uh, tell us about this. I think the, the premise of this show is genius. Uh, you are a grieving mother. Explain. OK, so I play Jodie and her son, Tom, went missing nine years ago. And the show opens, Jodie's on her way to work, and she sees her son. And she's absolutely sure it's him, and she jumps on the bus that he's on, follows him to school, gets close enough to see that he has the scar under his eye that, you know, he had since he was a little boy. And she's so sure it's him that she becomes absolutely obsessed about finding out the truth about where he's been, who he's been with, and why... Everyone around her insists that he's dead and she never has believed that he is. I mean, it's so... Look, already people are going, when's this on? I must watch this. It's such a great idea. And I don't think I've ever seen it before where somebody... Because it's it is, it's plausible that you would recognise a kid, you know, because it's, it's 10 years. So you would, you know, they were kind of identifiable, weren't they, at, at four or five? And then... Yeah, and also, can you imagine how much you would obsess about your child, about what they might look like. I mean, we've all seen those horrific things on the news where they mock up what a child would look like now. So it's not like you can't imagine. And like you said, because of the scar, because he has this thick, dark, curly hair, she she just looks at him and he looks at her and they look right at each other and she's like, that's my son, that is my son. That's where he's been all this time. Um, so she gets a job in the school because she's a musician. So she gets a, um, a peripatetic... <laughs> I can't say that word. I could only ever say it when I sing, when I sing one from Chorus Line. Peripatetic poetic and she... <laughs> she gets a job as a peripatetic teacher. And, um, and yeah, infiltrates her way into the school. And, um, 
and befriends him then gets to know the truth about who has taken him, where he's been, where he's living, and then she, she, she does her best to get him back. Because the bits I've seen, I've, I've seen episode one and a bit of episode two, and it's like you don't know whether she's the crazy one or the only sane one. It's... it's, ooh, it's exactly. Yeah. Exactly, and I think that's, that, you know, that, that's the idea. And the thing is, like... What bigger motivation have you got to do something which may to other people seem a little crazy than finding out where your son is, where your child is? I mean, there's no bigger motivation really that I can think of. If it was me, I would do everything that she did. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the teaching the music bit, you, so you were really doing that. Like you, so was that a skill you had or did you learn it to do this? No, so um, the boy that is playing, who like Tom Stroke Daniel, because he's now called Daniel, he actually is um, a really great musician. So I would say to Cody, that's his name, Co- I'd say, Cody, Cody, what would a music teacher say right now? What would you do? Like, what, what kind of things would the music teacher say? You'd say, well, they'd say things like this, and I'd say, brilliant, I'm having that. So Cody would basically give me my lines. <laughs> that's handy. Yeah. <laughs> and unusually, I mean, it is incredible. So many things are being filmed in Ireland right now. I, I spoke to um, uh, Ray Panthaki last week and he, Marcello has done it there, Bloodlands, uh, Jimmy Nesbitt's there. And now this is also filmed in Ireland. I cannot believe how buoyant the industry is over in Ireland. It feels like there is never like short of like a hundred things going on at any given time. And it's so beautiful. I was staying in Bray and I was two minutes from the beach. I would go there on a weekend and, and just have a walk along the sea. I did that lovely cliff walk from Bray to Wicklow, is it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and oh, I just I just loved it. I just really, really loved it. And uh, no wonder, because you can be at a beach or a river or the mountains or the city in a fairly short space of time, so it's ideal locations, really. And is that where Lockdown is? Because is I've never heard of Lockdown. I, I... Yeah, yeah. So it's. A, I think, I mean, I'll probably, I reckon it was 40 minutes, something like that, from where I was staying in Bray. <laughs> and it's where the film Frank was filmed. Oh, the one with the big bobblehead. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Michael yeah. Fassbender's inside. Michael Fassbender's yeah. inside a big bobblehead. Yeah. Yes, and, and and they're in that that wooden shack of a house, and that's where we were at the, the the very sort of last scenes of the show are filmed in there. So I haven't met Michael Fassbender, but I've been where he's been, and that's good <laughs> enough for me. <laughs> and, and tell me this, you? I think this is one of those shows that got interrupted by lockdown. Is it? Yes, it was six months. So we did um, the first half. Um, before lockdown one and then we came back about six months later just before lockdown two got called so there was a lot of people panicking and worrying about whether I would fit into my costume and (laughs) no I'm joking Um, but yeah you know it was fine we just picked up where we left off and everybody just had the same goal which is we really wanted to get it finished We, we we were really proud of what we'd done already and there's always a worry that if you don't pick it up as quickly as possible it might just never get done and, and also that was a real uh, and also you know you're going to be untouched by time because you know you're jill have many but uh but cody plays the son like he could grow a beard or something i mean were you worried that he was going to look very <laughs> yes. different like you're absolutely right because you know kids especially around that age that they're, they're on the cusp of kind of being the sort of 
like still a bit cute and then they go into that sort of weird sort of like young man phase don't they yeah so it was you could see everybody sort of staring at cody when he came back yep yeah he's still yeah he's still fine he's still fine <laughs> um but yeah bless him he was you know, he, he was just as desperate to get back as everyone else. And also, like, the voice thing as well, because obviously with boys, like, their voices change. And it was, there were so many things to think about. Wow. Did you, did you win the first season of Strictly or? The second, season two. Oh, wow. I think when Natasha won the first one, didn't she? Oh, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. 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 And then you came along and wiped the floor with her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you watch it now or does it kind of bring back kind of memories of just being in pain and exhausted? No, I can totally watch it. There was a time when the the used to honestly make me feel slightly sick because I just felt so nervous even at the sound of it, but now I'm just a fan. I just I just watch it like everybody else does and I I just love it. Because you were back in the days when they didn't really explain to the celebrities how much work it was going to be. (laughs) Yeah. And you know what else? I was back in the day where all your VTs were literally just um, you in the rehearsal room. There was was none of, like, where they go out and they go on, like, rides at the fun fair or they go and meet parents and things. It was just in the rehearsal room. So you've seen a lot of the kind of the niggles and the relationships with the dancers. And I, I kind of miss that because I want to see what really happens when they're learning that dance. Yes, I must say, I find those VTs kind of unbearable. They're kind of like, so, you know, we're doing it. We're doing the jive. So I've come to, a, you know, a rabbit sanctuary. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's really, really cheesy, isn't it? I want to I go back to the real stuff. Yeah. Uh, listen, we're nearly out of time, so I've got to wrap up and just remind people that uh, Jill Halfbunny, that's you, uh, star <laughs> in The Drowning. Uh, good luck with it. I hope people enjoy it because it's, it's a great watch. I hope people tune in. And Me lo- too. And lovely to talk to you again. Thanks so much, Graeme. Lovely to speak to you. All right. Cheers. Bye, Jill Halfpenny. Coming up soon, Adrian Dunbar reminisces on his travels for a new show, Adrian Dunbar's Coastal Ireland. But not before, Marion Keyes tells us how we can get inside the brains of her dysfunctional characters in her book, Grown Ups. Hello, Graham Norton. How are you this morning? <laughs> I'm very well. All the better for talking to you. Likewise. Uh, so now, Grown Ups out in paperback. The, I, I, you know, you normally, if you're introducing a book, you say, "Oh, it's a, a thriller. It's a mystery. It's a." Da-. But this is, it's a story, isn't it? That's, I mean, the, it, it. But it's a gripping story. How do you describe it to people? Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's a. Um, a gripping story about a complicated family, a big complicated family. And the thing is, all families are complicated. And families, if they spend a lot of time with each other, they invariably pick up, you know, loads of secrets. People know things about each other that they're not meant to know. And in grown ups, there are three brothers, there are various wives, ex-wives, adult children, stepchildren, and they all spend a lot of time together. On the surface, they get on very well. Obviously, below the surface, things are far murkier and far livelier, if you get me. Um, but oh, yes, I hear you. <laughs> yes, but everybody <laughs> behaves like adults on, on the outside. You know, they've manners and they keep their mouth shut and they don't say what they really think until somebody says something. She actually gets concussion and her filter. I love this. Explain this. So it's a real, this is a real medical thing that happens. Yes. I know somebody who got concussion and suddenly she couldn't 
stop herself from saying the things that she was really thinking. You know, so like normally she would look at a person and think, oh my God, look at their hair. That is grim. <laughs> but she'd normally, oh, well, you look wonderful. But suddenly she couldn't do, do the, oh, you look wonderful bit anymore. Like she'd go, oh my God, your hair. <laughs> you know, and she got into tons of trouble and nobody could figure out what was wrong with her until they traced it back to the fact that she'd had a concussion. And, you know, this thing doesn't last for long, but it does, you know, a sizable amount of damage while it does last. So this woman, it ha happened. I thought that's a great idea for a book. So at the start of Grown Ups, one of my characters gets concussion, blows the gig wide open. Um, now, the reader doesn't find out all the terrible secrets that have been unleashed because we jump back six months and, you know, we start w working our way forward to when when the secrets uh, suddenly started being spoken aloud. So I don't know, you could call it a family saga. You could call it a, a mild little thriller. You know, there's a, you know, there's a little bit of intrigue, um, but it's mostly about people and you know, an awful lot of very flawed people who are trying their best, which I think is kind of all of us, really. And I think one of the interesting things about what you do, Marion, is the books are funny and they're frothy and you, you you get through the pages fast, but you you don't shy away from kind of the big subjects. There are kind of, you know, you, you hit heavy topics kind of bang on. Yeah, like all of my novels are set into the con in the contemporary world and I don't think it would be... Um, you know, the right thing to do if I didn't address things like, for example, the refugee crisis or like one of the, the wives, she has an, a really, really dysfunctional relationship with money. Um, you know, she's very insecure about herself and she feels that she sort of rents her friends, that if she didn't spend lots of money, that she wouldn't have any. Um, and I mean, this is nonsense and it's complicated, but and then Another storyline that, you know, threads through the book is is bulimia. And you're right in that in many ways, Grown Ups is a lot of fun, but there are there's darkness in it because I think there's darkness in most people in some way, shape or form. No, absolutely. And what the other really skillful thing is, the, it's a huge cast of characters. And yet as a reader, I always knew where I was. I always knew who everyone was. How do you keep all that in your head? Do you have, are you a, are you a notice board uh, woman? Is there a whiteboard in your life? Or what? It's so, yeah, I never had a whiteboard in my life until the book I'm writing now. So there wasn't one for grown-ups. But that's so lovely of you. The thing is, I feel very, very fond of my characters, even the occasional baddies. Um, I do have pen pictures of them that, you know, I kind of add details to when I need to. But I don't have something that I can just cast my eye at and say, aha, right, that's that person. Um, but yeah, I do. I especially loved the people in this book. For some reason, I felt very tenderly. I mean, and four of the main seven characters are men. And it was very, very nice to be able to write about men in a nuanced way, you know, and realise that they're finding modern life and late stage capitalism extremely difficult as well. So I think just the fact that they become almost like my friends makes it easy to to kind of stay connected with them. And you come from a big family. Do they all kind of hold their breath when a new Marion Keys <laughs> book is coming out? <laughs> kind of, a, uh oh, who's in this one? 
<laughs> well, the thing is, I mean, there's only five in my family, which is like shamefully small by Irish fa- uh, Irish family standards. Um, I think at this stage, they've long given up expecting like, honest to God, they're the only person in this book that has any connection to anyone in real life is Ed, who was married to Cara. He was inspired by my brother-in-law, Jimmy, who's a botanist, because I thought always I have no interesting jobs to give my characters because I feel like I've used them all up. And I thought, ha ha, Jimmy's a botanist. Right, Jimmy, tell me about your job. And actually, it was very interesting because Jimmy, my brother-in-law, says things like, well, you know, I'm a scientist. I deal deal in facts. And I thought, that's fantastic. That's a really interesting character trait that I, and actually I gave it to Ed, my, um, my character, but no, I think the only one that more worries still is my mother. And she just worries terribly about the amount of sex in my books. Like she really doesn't believe that human beings actually really have sex at all. And that it's just showing off on my part when I write about it. And, and actually, you know, I'm just doing that to mortify her. That's the only reason, which of course is true. Well, it's a grain of truth, but it, ha- it happens in books. It happens in books. We, that's fine. What job weren't you doing, Marion Keys, when you were uh, twirling around <laughs> a handbag? I was working in an accounts office in an architectural college. And uh, yeah, but kind of going out and dancing was my main occupation. Oh, and Rod Gilbert was on the show a couple of weeks ago and he was saying this thing, you know, because I, I don't know about you, I don't go uh, out to clubs or anything anymore, but somehow because they're shut, you kind of think, Ooh. oh, the minute they open, I'm going to go back. Of course. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I know, I know, I know, yeah. I mean, I haven't been to a club for many a year, but yeah, there's a lot to to miss about the olden days. But the olden days will be back. <laughs> they will, they will. Um, you mentioned a new book there. Are you addressing current I'm, times? I'm not, Graham, I'm not. I've set it in 2018. Now, I might have to at some stage kind of make a nod to it, but I'm really hoping that the whole business will be done and dusted and we can forget about it forever and none of us need ever refer to it again. <laughs> and I mean, I know some people say that they're going to write about the pandemic and I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, no, don't, don't, please. You know, living through it has been enough. I have no desire to revisit it when it's over. And are you finding writing uh, easy? Easier or or harder in that, you know, the world is, you know, our distractions are more limited now. Yeah, they are and they aren't, though. I mean, like I still can spend phenomenal amounts of time shopping online. Um, But I suppose, you know, I have bouts of working very well without distraction. And then I realise I really crave people. Um, like I thought I was a, an acute introvert, but I love the bit of crack. Like I love being out with people and having fun and, and that actually kind of feed, it gives me energy for writing. Um, and then it passes and I start again. I mean, I think everybody's job, no matter what they're doing is not optimum at the moment. I think we've all been affected by this in ways that maybe we're not even fully aware of. Um, but like, I'm still making progress, which is which is better than not making progress. Yes, and I imagine you find, you find your writing course helpful yourself. Well, I find it very uplifting. You know, I get so much out of it seeing seeing people write their daily challenges and they say I wrote 500 words I have no idea where they came from and I'm like yes yes that's the beauty of it that's how writing works you know are people saying I was afraid to start I used to do it and I've started again and and now I'm loving it and 
the idea of people being cheered up or a lot of people have said that they're furloughed or they're unemployed and that their days are just stretching endlessly ahead of them. And they say that with the daily challenges, now they have something to do. And that gives me the lovely, warm feelings, the happy glow. Yeah. And you know, we're always here for the happy glow, Graham. We love a happy glow. Uh, Marion, you've certainly given it to us. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Grown Ups, Grown Ups, the novel is out in paperback now. Uh, Marion, good luck to you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Graham. You're an angel. <laughs> no, you. Bye you. bye. No, you more. <laughs> All right. Bye. bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Virgin Radio. Hi, Adrian. Hi, hi, Graham. How are you doing? I'm very well. Well, not as well as you. What a lovely gig. I mean, it's like you won a competition. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? I just get to travel up the west coast of. I mean, I'm just doing what everybody else really wants to do at the minute, which is get out in the fresh air, meet some lovely people, eat some great food, and see some incredible places. I mean, it, was, it is absolutely, you know, won a lottery ticket. Yeah. And how did it come about? Did you did you go? I'd like to go on my holidays. Will you pay me, please? Or uh... no, not at all. No, um, the producer and friend of mine uh, were having a conversation. Another produ- uh, producer on uh, line of duty, and they said, "Oh, do, do, you know, West Coast and Wild Atlantic Way. You know, who would present such a thing?" And my name came up, and they contacted me, and I thought, "Well, look, this is a great idea." I'll, uh, you know, I get to go down your end of the world, down into Mizzen and uh, Ballymaloo and Skib and, you know, and then travel all the way up the West Coast. And I can also, you know, meet some uh, new people, but meet some of my old friends. So I drop in on John Minahan and all kinds of people on the way up. It really was a lovely gig. Yeah, because I, as you say, that's kind of my neck of the road. So Mizzen, I've, I've been to, to Mizzen. After that, I then just kept seeing you doing things where going, oh, I really ought to do that. I really ought to do that. And it's so it's such a small country. And yet I, I have seen so little of it. I felt, And you were the same. There's lots of things in it that you were doing for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... I try to get out of the Skelligs, and people will know the Skelligs from Star Wars and so forth, but they really are the most incredible monastic settlement on this island off the south coast, off Kerry, the Kerry coast. I tried to get out a couple of times before with the family, but never made it. Uh, but they got special dispensation from, you know, from the Office, Office of Public Works and so forth, and they got us out onto it, and it really is a big alpha destination. It's an incredible place, hugely spiritual, and the, you know, I think some of the visuals we have on the Skelligs are just incredible. So it was wonderful getting there. But I also loved, uh, you know, the bridge at Mizzen. I loved, you know, uh, the Aran Islands were extraordinary. Malinhead is another wild, windswept, amazing place. And of course, the Giant's Causeway and the Northeast Coast, which I didn't know at all, really, which we end up in, is really one of the most beautiful areas in the whole of Ireland. And uh, I really didn't know it. I didn't know the coast road. I knew the causeway, of course. I'd been there. But then, you know, Donegal, the beaches. I mean, it really is an extraordinary, extraordinary place. Absolutely loved it. Because something as remote as the Skellig Islands, I mean, when you were out there, what I loved was how even in, you know, the the, the kind of the, the timeline of filming, you nearly don't get on there. Then you do. Then the the clouds descend and you can, you can already see your hand. It's, it's amazing to watch the way the weather kind of engulfs those islands. 
Yeah, well, this is this is one of the problems of trying to get out there because they, they, you know things can turn on, on a sixpence out that part of the world, as we know from the kind of tragedies of the Fastnet Rock and all that kind of uh, things. That you know, the, the water, the sea out there is very unpredictable. So we just got lucky. You know, it, it was starting to boil up a bit. And then beyond that, then it just settled, allowed us to get on. There were other people out there that day, but they could just kind of take their boats around the islands. They weren't allowed to get on. We were very lucky uh, insofar as we were able to get on. It really is an incredible, incredible place. I felt so privileged to be out there. And in terms of when you were doing this, were you the only tourist? Was it, what sort of, when were you filming all of this? Yes, this was kind of, you know, in mid so after the after the, the end of the first lockdown when we all felt we could get out and do a few things. Oh, again. Okay. So it was in that window and uh, and yes, we were the only people allowed on. Uh because they had closed it down for a while to do repairs and so forth. And uh so we were very, very lucky. Uh so I got the place to myself, which is an absolutely extraordinary thing. And uh, but it's the people I met as well. Ireland, like you know, that this you know, it's chatting to Billy Keane and kind of working your way up the coast and talking to Barry Britton and you know, Dorina Allen and kind of people who I already knew and had a rapport with. Uh, it was it really was such an enjoyable trip, really, really. Because I didn't know uh, about Barry Britton. I was talking to my mother actually, because of course we're looking for things to talk about. So I was like, I've watched that Adrian Dunbar show. So I, was t- I was telling her about it, <laughs> and she'd heard of Barry Britton. So Barry Britton's mother, is it true? Barry Britton's mother introduced surfing to Ireland. Yes, Barry Britton's mother. They had a hotel called the Sandhouse Hotel in Rossnowland, County Donegal. And Barry Britton's mother, uh, as part of a kind of board fulture thing, a whole bunch of hoteliers went out to to America. They were trying to drum up uh, Ireland as a kind of holiday destination. She was in Los Angeles, apparently, and she she was on the beach, and she looked out and saw all these kids on the surfboards. And, of course, she had four four sons, and she thought, I should buy a few of those and bring them back for the boys. Of course, as Barry says, that turned them into, you know, surfing junkies immediately and surf bums. And uh, ruined the rest of her life, and she regretted it for the rest rest of her life. Barry said, "But you know, Barry's daughter, of course, who's a professor of marine biology at Ulster University, um, is also uh, a, 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 fanta- a, a fantastic surfer. And uh, you know, she was one of uh, Ireland's uh, longboard surfers, Eastkey. She's named after a wave, Eastkey Britain. It's named after a wave in Sligo, and she's a very successful surfer. So." You know, off the back of that came all kinds of things, and uh, Rosnada still is one of the one of the most beautiful beaches in Ireland. And so I've saw, I've seen episode one. Is it two episodes or are there more? There's two episodes. Two episodes. We didn't we didn't get down the east coast. We didn't get round, you know, Leinster, around Waterford and Wexford and all that stuff. So we just kind of go from basically East Cork all the way around up around the north coast, and we finish up in the Mourns. Uh, above Warren Point and Ross Trevor. Yeah, really, I must get up to County Sligo. I always thought County Sligo was a bit of a dump, but it's stunning. That Ben Bulban and all that, gorgeous. <laughs> Mate, what are you talking about? I always thought Sligo was a bit of a dump. I mean, come on. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's the land of your heart's desire, Graham, as WB it's called it. You know, it's one of the most beautiful counties in Ireland. It's stunning especially its coastline, you know, and it runs directly into Donegal 
And that whole area, people tend to just drive through that area. Uh, while honestly, there's um, there's some in, in absolutely stunning places to visit all the way along that northeast coast. No, I must get up there, Adrian. I've been talking to you for a good ten minutes, and I haven't mentioned line of duty. I feel like I deserve <laughs> some sort of pat on the back. <laughs> you certainly do, Greg. You certainly do. <laughs> uh, season um, six. We keep seeing. Oh, they've started filming. They've stopped filming. They've started filming. Where are you now? Uh, is it near completion? What's the story? Right. The story is this. First of all, BBC One are repeating season two. I saw that. That's the Keely Hawes series. It's a really good one. Yes, yeah, that's that's the one with Keely Hawes. Yeah. Uh, Vicky and Martin, you know, having a go at one another, falling out slightly, and, you know, uh, Mark Bonner being brilliant. And uh, beyond that, then, of course, we have finished. We we started like everybody else. We stopped in March because of lockdown, and then we picked it up again, um, basically after I did the, the, travels, the travel series. Uh, so September, October, November, we finished early December. So it's ready to go out and will go out with, uh, within the next, I suppose, couple of months, I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, so we're all... It's been strange, Graham, because usually we, we film in two blocks of three. But because we broke down in March, we had to come back and then we were shooting out of sequence all over the place. So you do a bit of series six, uh, episode six, a bit of episode one, then three. So it was kind of tricky kind of getting your head around what's all the time a very complicated story so we're a bit trepidatious but is it going to be up to the same style oh have we done you know i mean we're just on tender hooks waiting for it to come out i guess it's one of those things you'll enjoy watching it because it'll be the first time you've seen the kind of full arc of the story i guess yeah absolutely absolutely and of course across a whole year you you know you forget things that you've done and you know and then anyway, when you finish an edit on, on something, it's so, you're so distant from it. So I do sit down. It's a bit of an event always. Uh, it's turned into an event, of course, uh, you, you know, a line of duty, because people do watch it in real time. It's not the kind of thing you leave and then come back and watch in a box, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, you just watch it in real time because of the storyline, because of the twists and turns. So, uh, I, you know, we all tend to do that, sit back and go, right, here we go. And uh, so, fingers crossed, Kelly McDonald's playing the lead uh, this time, the wonderful Kelly McDonald. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's coming soon. And uh, Jed Mercurio, I mean, he, he kind of plans ahead. So is this the, is this the end? Is this the, is this the final episode of the series? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> you know... <laughs> <laughs> ring, 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 ring. <laughs> right, Jed, what's happening? Um, you know, I, I, you know, I think as long as there's an appetite uh, from the uh, from the our audience uh, for the show, I think we we'll, we'll keep going. Why why would we stop? I mean, it's uh, we managed to keep the standard, and Jed rather has managed to keep the standard so high for so long, and uh, and people love the show. I, I hope it does uh, go on, but of course, everything's finite. You know, I see Peaky Blinders is coming off after six fabulous seasons. So, you know, when, when it ends, it will end, and we love all had the most wonderful time. Adrian Dunbar's Coastal Ireland. It starts, everyone can see it, on Thursday at 8 o'clock on Channel 5. Thank you very much for joining us. Not at all, Graham. I'll talk to you again, Adrian. Take care Blonde, of yourself. Bye, 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 bye. Thank you very much for listening to the Graham Norton Radio Show podcast. I'll be back on Virgin Radio from 9.30 on Saturday morning, and the 
next episode of the podcast will be out first thing the following Monday. Chat to you then. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Virgin Radio.